Hello, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and I'm joined by my colleague, Madhu Unikrishnan. This week, we talk about spiking oil prices and what they mean for U.S. airlines, and the skilled labor shortage in the U.S., especially how that's impacting pilots and maintenance technicians. Thank you, and enjoy the podcast. Hey, Madhu, how are you doing today? Good. How are you, Ned? I'm good. It's just uh, it's it's another busy week in Airlineville. We had the J.P. Morgan Annual Industrials Conference this week, and and heard from pretty much every major airline in the U.S. about their thoughts on on a range of topics. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what was what jumped out at me first was all the discussion about oil. That's right. You know, it's definitely top of mind in pretty much every uh, you know C-suite I think across the industry. That said, you know, what was striking, and, and you picked up on this in a story you wrote, Madhu, was how it's uh, U.S. CEOs or airlines are generally not that concerned. Yeah, you know, okay, so when Russia invaded Ukraine um, at the end of February, the oil markets spiked, right? I mean, the, and markets are irrational things, and the, um, with the thought of 10% of the world's oil potentially going offline from Russia, um, Oil surged to $130 a barrel. I mean, prices not seen since 2014 and echoing 2008 when it went when oil went up to 147 per barrel. But, you know, at that time, there was a whole lot of Scott, the sky is falling in among airline industry analysts or travel or the larger travel ecosystem that fares are going to rise and, you know, the airline industry is going to be hobbled. And, and I was really surprised to hear most CEOs at this JP Morgan conference, um, we're not concerned at all. They, they said, yeah, it's something we can manage. Absolutely. You know, what struck me is that, you know, even with higher fuel, they said the the, the, the demand, pent up demand, the cliche that we've heard so many times during this crisis is real and palpable, at least in the U.S. And they expect pretty much travelers to absorb whatever fare increases they pass through to, to recapture fuel. And that was interesting, Ned, is that, um, you know, there was a lot of chatter a, a week ago not so much in the airline industry, but in the larger travel ecosystem, that fares are going to rise massively. And, you know, we saw Malaysia Airlines last week adding the first fuel surcharge that I know of. Um, but the the U.S. CEOs, I mean, Delta said fares probably go up in the low single digits this summer. And um, that was echoed by Alaska and United and American uh, that – and I believe you 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 listen to JetBlue, Robin Jet has, Blue as hey, well. Yes, Hayes said the same thing. I mean, low single digits. So, and the other thing they said, and this is important, is that uh, they all believe they can recapture the 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 fuel prices um, through through tickets and not not by a whole lot. So that that was surprising. That was also you know encouraging. They they just sort of brushed it off. Right. And part of that now, we should say, is there's you know, some capacity discipline is, right. is coming back. Now, there aren't really broad based cuts, I would say. Some airline, most airlines are just metering their recovery. So instead of, you know, uh, like taking a percentage point off what they plan to resume by the summer or two percentage points. So very disciplined, very managed, but absolutely not. You know, like Henry Hardevelt uh, told me, it's not a fire sale. You know, it's right. it's uh, just very managed approach. And so, as demand comes back, people are you know people are going to face higher fares. That's pretty much it. Well, some airlines now, Alaska. I mean, that that was the exception that I heard. Alaska plans to be bigger than to match its 2019 capacity this summer. No, you're right. JetBlue said the same thing, but. It is down from they had planned to grow from 2019 capacity. Now they're going to be at or a little above. So right. 
they're still metering what they're doing, but yes, yeah. they Alaska and JetBlue will be back to 2019 levels. Right. And um, the I mean, I guess one thing that stands out about Alaska is unlike most U.S. airlines, with the very notable exception of Southwest, um, Alaska hedges about half its fuel needs. And, uh, you know, uh, Jamie Baker, the analyst at J.P. Morgan, who was moderating a lot of the, the conference, uh, you know, he commented he said he was eating a little crow um, because he has not been a fan of fuel hedges and um, Southwest and Alaska are actually looking pretty good right now. I mean, Alaska said it would be, you know, they're good for the next three or four quarters in despite how um, how volatile fuel may get. So that yeah. that's that's a luxury that buys them some flexibility. Right. And, you know, what struck me with Southwest, which also hedges is. They, their, their CFO, Tammy Romo, said that at $100 a barrel, they are sitting on um, at least $0.53 cents a gallon gain from their yeah. fuel hedges mm -hmm. that's going to go th flow through to their bottom line. So, I mean, yeah, Alaska and Southwest are really sitting pretty with, uh, with, with high fuel or high oil at the moment. Right. And that gives them so, I mean, you know, if, if oil oil has fallen significantly, I mean, it's now on just under $100 a barrel and it, it's kind of. There's even there's actually oil cheaper than that, Ned. <laughs> you know, there's Russian oil that's trading at thirty dollars a barrel less than Brent and WTI. So, but we know U.S. airlines aren't about about to no. uh, tap Russian oil. So that's uh, for all no. intents and purposes not not an act not no, accessible but it is, to them. It is a factor as to why the market has kind of gone calmer, from what I've heard and just people I've spoken to, and that's because there are other countries that may be able to access that oil so there's kind of there's a, there's a lot of oil around <laughs> is what for I'm sure saying. for sure and i was listening to a um a talk by the the president of the world bank earlier this week and you know he was asked this question about you know global oil supplies and the broader economic impact and he really wasn't concerned he, he cited us uh canada mm -hmm. uh, the gulf gulf states saudi arabia everyone has the opportunity to increase oil has has room to increase oil production which could alleviate some of the russian uh you know the russian oil exiting the market of course the caveat is that can't happen overnight that will take right a few months at least to do so it's uh but it, it, on the on the broader scale for a long term you know if sanctions to remain in place for a long term that seems yeah this might not be nearly as big of a hit as some people are as the markets initially suggested it could be yeah and another factor i mean the, the one that would explain to me is that uh you know there there's 10 percent of the world's oil that a lot of companies and countries won't tantra may be sanctioned that will find a market whether it's india or china and those countries will then not be buying the unsanctioned oil if you know what i'm saying so the the it just the market panicked but demand is sort of re shuffled itself to 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 buy the oil that's out there anyway exactly. I digress. <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> no, no. I, this is not this is the airline weekly lounge not the petrochemical <laughs> weekly lounge petroleum <laughs> weekly lounge which god forbid can you imagine a lounge like that but anyway um so you know it's interesting with alaska you know no hedges really did fall out of favor but um and, you know, I remember Doug Parker, when he was CEO of U.S. Airways, saying we we will never hedge. And when he and he's promised American would do the same when U.S. Airways acquired it. Um, and 
the, the thing that Shane Tackett, the CFO of Alaska, pointed out is the flexibility it affords the carrier. Now, Southwest is the same. So while other carriers are pulling back capacity or may have to adjust, you know, Alaska and Southwest can continue on the trajectory they had planned for 2022 without having to think about oil. So it's a I wonder if hedges will start to come back into fashion. I kind of doubt it. Remember the the big scandal about the Delta Airlines fuel hedger who, um, you know, basically I get the, the exact details, but he 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 was essentially um, white collar crime. I forget exactly what he did, and that broke it was probably five or six years ago now. Mm-hmm. I don't think the airlines are going to jump back into hedges in any significant way because of this, especially as we see oil prices already coming down. You know, it seems yeah. like this might have been, you know, yes, I, I think uh, things are going to remain. It's it's not going back to sub $50 a barrel oil, but it's not going to, it doesn't look like it's going to be above $100 a barrel for the long term. And I don't think airlines are going to change their strategy for that. Like one of the executives said at the JP Morgan conference this week is, you know, I forget which airline it was. You reported this. It, what, you know, they said they can, they're fine at $100 a barrel oil. Was it United? Was it Jerry Laterman or was? Uh, that was Doug Parker. No, Parker, exactly. They're fine at $100 a barrel oil. So it doesn't seem to me like there's there's a need to jump back into fuel hedging in a big way if, if they're fine at $100 a barrel oil. Now, let, let's pause there for a second. And I remember back in 2005, 2006, um, when the, the, uh, the $100 threshold was like struck terror into the hearts of airline executives because that was a threshold that they didn't think they would survive. Absolutely, but the industry changed. The industry changed. And Parker Airlines adjusted, and there's been consolidation. Businesses are much more robust. We're coming out of the coronavirus when they cut more costs out of their business. Right. Became more efficient. You know, there's been so much talk about how we did things that we thought would take us five years and we're able to do them in a year. Mm-hmm. So the airline industry, at least in the U.S., is much more resilient than it was. Uh, oh, absolutely. You know, in in 2019 and much, much more than in 2008. So Yeah. And Parker pointed that out. And now his session, he leaves his job on March 31st. Uh, he's retiring. Um, he took his uh, his session was less about American Airlines and more a valedictory speech about the airline industry, like looking back fondly. And he pointed that very thing out. You know, this is not the same industry that he started out in when he was working for Bob Crandall back in the 80s. Like this is and it's not even the same industry that it was in 2010. Right. I mean, there are far fewer network carriers. As you said, they they've all become more efficient because of the coronavirus. I mean, Parker said um, Americans realized about $1.3 billion in efficiencies through cost cutting and rationalizing its fleet, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, this is a much stronger industry. Paradoxically, I mean, we thought, you know, back in March 2020, there was a question whether the industry would survive at all or whether we'd see liquidations. And instead, we see a stronger industry that emerging from the crisis, yeah, one that's I'm- able to take $100 a barrel oil and make money. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, there's no no small part of that is people's will, you know, travelers are still keen to travel and, you know, planes are filling up. And it's funny, this comes as corporate travel returns. And, you know, every session I listen to at JP Morgan, you know, airlines, they're not giving a target to where corporate travel will be, but they say people are coming back. Corporates are coming back, especially as people return to the office. You know, I saw this, you're going to laugh. I saw the Washington Post went back to the office this week. You know, 
businesses are going back and people are, are getting back on there. And as those corporate travelers come back, that's just going to increase demand. And with capacity discipline, fares will go up. And like airline said, and people will pay it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of pent up demand. And and I mean, it also helps. And Parker did point this out when the government, the federal government picked up your labor bill for for, you know, a little over a year. I mean, that, that gives you the space to, to do a lot of this rationalization that he was talking about. For sure. All right, Madhu, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. And we're back, Madhu. So shifting gears, we want to keep talking about some of the topics at the JP Morgan conference this week. But another topic was the the pilot shortage in the U.S., and that's something that you know, most of the airline executives touched on. And it's it's interesting. We were just talking about capacity discipline with oil. Uh, pilots are also a constraint on capacity as as the airlines are coming out of the pandemic. Absolutely, this is a story you've been all over. And um, I mean, tell tell us what you heard. I mean, is it is it's with the mainline carriers, is it as much? I mean, we we talked about regional carriers really suffering. What what's the view from the mainline carriers, Ned? So the mainlines are it, it they 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 acknowledge that there's a shortage, and I think the focus there is more on what can be done to alleviate it. Now, everyone agrees that it cannot be alleviated overnight. You can't just you know go out and hire Joe Schmo off the corner and make him a pilot the next day. Hmm. But you know, poor Joe alas- Schmo. Hmm? Poor Joe Schmo. <laughs> well, so Alaska Airlines and United Airlines have both opened up uh, their own pilot training schools, right. which uh, are which will increase the supply. I mean, it's going to take you know several years max to to turn them into actual pilots, but that it will increase supply. Uh, and you know, JetBlue CEO Robin Hayes made a very good point about you know, creating pathways to careers is a key thing to increasing supply. Now he touted JetBlue's Gateway program, which started in 2016. And that's finally starting to produce pilots for the airline. Now, we didn't give a specific number for how many it is, but, you know, it's it's these investments airlines have made years ago that are, are helping things. And JetBlue, you know, Hayes said, did not say JetBlue has a shortage, limiting its capacity. Of course, they don't have regional affiliates that would do that. But he said the broader shortage would probably drive up pilot uh, costs for the airline going forward because they'll have to pay people more. But it was interesting. It's it's. It's why it's just widely acknowledged. Every airline, you know, American, Delta, uh, and, and United all touched on the shortage somewhat. Uh, American and Delta more so than than United, I believe, which is You're interesting because right. United yeah. has made the most comments or made the most moves in schedules, cutting flights, and everything. But it's it's definitely hitting the industry. It's it's a broad issue that's hitting a ton of people, and and it's it's just it's very real. So, Ned, I mean, I have a question for you, and this is something. You reported on, and we've both heard, but I don't, I don't know if I've heard an answer for. It. So, to, to sp- even with Aviate and with Alaska's, I forget what its pilot training school is called. I think it's a Send Flight School or something. Uh, the, the, that helps. You know, it's a tremendous help for an aspiring pilot, and the goals are to diversify the pilot core from you know to to be more inclusive to bring people that wouldn't normally um, think of a career in aviation into the pilot um, core. But, um, but you know, the, the fact of the matter is people still will graduate with like $75,000 or $80,000 in costs from it to train to get to the 1500 hour rule. 
Uh, did anyone address how that is being is, is being solved? Because that's Unfortun- a significant barrier. Absolutely. For- you know, I, I, <laughs> you know, pilots on Twitter love to let me know about the low wages that regional pilots are paid mm-hmm. for years and the high cost of training. And um, completely agree. The costs are very high. Wages have been low for a long time. They are coming up. I want to say a lot of airlines are raising, uh, you know, new labor contracts, bring wages up. But uh, the, the training costs still remain very high. Like you said, $70,000 is a lot of money for someone. It's, it's essentially uh, a degree. You yeah. know? Um, now, Alaska and United touted they have uh, you know, financial aid available to those in need. You know, United's partnered with J.P. Morgan to cover at least one of the required certifications. But like, it's still $70,000. And those numbers are not including living expenses. Right. So someone has to be able to... Live while also paying this money to train. It it is essentially going to college, basically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And no, there's not a good answer to that. You know, they talk about financial aid, but I don't know if it's it's eligible for federal financial aid at this point, or if they have to go private route. You know, that's a lot of debt. You know, people airlines are offering incentives for new hires, but not uh, at least not initially uh, seventy thousand dollars worth of incentives that's for sure seventy thousand dollars plus living expenses i mean we're looking now that's easily into the six figures of debt that somebody will have to carry when they're starting at a regional carrier where the pay is notoriously low so it's it's higher than before but yes it is still it is (laughs) higher than before that's true there's been a lot of um new collective bargaining agreements but but still i mean that's that's that'll give a lot of aspiring pilots pause before they enter this field Absolutely. You know, one of the interesting things that I, I've been trying to dig into is how long it takes for someone to start for, from nothing to become a pilot under the 1500-hour rule. Now, ATP Flight School, which has a lot of pathway programs, partnerships with airlines, claims they can do it in as little as seven months, which I've talked to a couple pilots and they say, yeah, if you did it full time and you were just racking up your hours, doable. But I really question whether... Every you know, most students out there are going to be able to, you know, train for seven months straight without doing anything else, considering they have living expenses and that, and and everything else they have to pay for. So, the truth is, is this is probably a several year long uh, process. You know, JetBlue's Gateway program says four years for someone to become a pilot. I'd probably put, you know, if you were working fast but not doing it full time, I'd cut, I'd split the difference and put it about two years. You know, but that it's just it takes time and it costs money. And I really don't think that the moves, you know, the moves that are being made to help with those costs and improve wages are good. But it's still like you said, it's still a lot of money and it's still not you're not going to be earning six figures for a few years after you start an industry, at least. So it gives pause. Yeah, absolutely. And it it also is a uh, it's a barrier to the goals of uh, diversifying the industry. You know, so, I mean, that's a tough nut to crack. You and I don't have the answers, but it sounds like the airlines don't either. And that and that's a problem. They should have those answers. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I really think and I, I haven't delved into this too much, but, you know, in Europe, airlines have pilot cadet programs. You right. get hired by Lufthansa and they just take you and train you up. That's your your. Essentially, you know, they cover room and board and they train you and then you become a pilot at Lufthansa. You know, we don't have that model in the U.S., but I wonder if it's worth visiting, whether if that additional cost of just having an internal pilot cadet program might be worth it for some of the major carriers. 
Yeah, I mean that's something. It's 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 a uh, it's a problem, you know, throughout the economy in the U.S. We don't have the same kinds of uh, uh, training and apprenticeship programs that are exist in Europe and and in several Asian countries, and that that's you know I, I've heard it's a problem for even to find qualified welders or plumbers. You know, it's a, it is it's a difference in our the, on our employment model. So it's kind of larger than just the pilots. Absolutely. <laughs> but uh, but it is something you, to examine, right? Speaking of that, you know, maintenance technicians are another shortage that mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of airlines talk about. And it's funny because those, uh, the technicians, I mean, they're anyone who trains as an aircraft mechanic, their skills are also very applicable to a lot of other sectors, yes. automotive, uh, you know, energy. And if they can pay more, these people just go. It's because the programs aren't connected to any airline specifically. So... <laughs> Yeah. It's uh, it's it's very true. It's a broader issue about you know getting trained, uh, you know, trained certificate people into fly planes and maintain planes and everything across the country. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's. I mean the pilots got all the headlines, but the the maintenance technicians. I mean that's going to be a major pain point for airlines in the next few years if they can't recruit enough um, technicians to keep the lines flying. A hundred percent, Madhu. A hundred percent. Well, this story is going to keep going and we'll be sure to bring you updates on the pilot shortage and the trained, uh, you know, skilled uh, worker shortage in the U.S. But, you know, thank you for listening to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast this week. You can reach myself, Ned Russell, at er at skip.com. You can reach Madhu at mu at skip.com. Thanks again and have a good week. Thanks, Ned. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan a note at mu at skiff.com. And of course, check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week. 